0: INTRODUCTION TO THE STORY OF THE BARBARY CORSAIRS This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White THE STORY OF THE BARBARY CORSAIRS BY STANLEY LANE POOLE INTRODUCTION THE BARBARY CORSAIRS CHAPTER One. THE REVENGE OF THE MOORS For more than three centuries the trading nations of Europe were suffered to pursue their commerce or forced to abandon their gains at the bidding of pirates. From the days when Barbarossa defied the whole strength of the Emperor Charles V, to the early part of the present century, when prizes were taken by Algerine rovers under the guns, so to say, of all the fleets of Europe the corsairs were masters of the narrow seas, and dictated their own terms to all comers. Nothing but the creation of the large standing navies of the present age crippled them. Nothing less than the conquest of their two convenient coasts could have thoroughly suppressed them. During those three centuries they levied blackmail upon all who had any trading interest in the Mediterranean. The Venetians, Genoese, Pisans in older days, the English, French, Dutch, Danish, Swedish, and American governments in modern times— purchased security by the payment of a regular tribute or by the periodical presentation of costly gifts the penalty of resistance was too well known to need exemplification thousands of christian slaves in the bagnos at algiers bore witness to the consequences of an independent policy so long as the nations of europe continued to quarrel among themselves instead of presenting a united line of battle to the enemy such humiliations had to be endured so long as a corsair raid upon Spain suited the policy of France, so long as the Dutch, in their jealousy of other states, could declare that Algiers was necessary to them, there was no chance of the plague subsiding, and it was not till the close of the great Napoleonic Wars that the powers agreed, at the Congress of Aix-la-Chapelle in 1818, to act together and do away with the scourge of Christendom. And even then was little accomplished till France combined territorial aggrandisement with the role of a civilizing influence there had been pirates in the mediterranean long before the turks took up the trade indeed ever since boats were built their capabilities for plunder must have been realized the filibustering expedition of jason and the loot of the golden fleece is an early instance and the greeks at all times have distinguished themselves by acting up to jason's example by sea and land The Muslims, however, were some time in accustoming themselves to the perils of the deep. At first they marvelled greatly at those that go down to the sea in ships, and have their business in great waters, but they did not hasten to follow them. In the early days of the conquest of Egypt the caliph Omar wrote to his general and asked him what the sea was like, to which Amr made answer, The sea is a huge beast which silly folk ride like worms on logs whereupon much distressed the prudent caliph gave orders that no muslim should voyage on so unruly an element without his leave but it soon became clear that if the muslims were to hold their own with their neighbours still more if they meant to hold their neighbours own they must learn how to navigate and accordingly in the first century of the hijra we find the caliph Abdul instructing his lieutenant in africa to use tunis as an arsenal and dockyard and there to collect a fleet from that time forward the mohammedan rulers of the barbary coast were never long without ships of some sort the aglabi princes sailed forth from tunis and took sicily sardinia and corsica the fatimi caliphs waged war with the navies of abderrahman the great caliph of cordova at a strength of two hundred vessels a side the almohadis possessed a large and capacious fleet in which they transported their armies to Spain, and their successors in North Africa, though less powerful, were generally able to keep up a number of vessels for offensive as well as commercial purposes. During the later Middle Ages the relations between the rulers of the Barbary coast, the kings of Tunis, Tillemson, Fez, etc., and the trading nations of Christendom were amicable and just. Treaties show that both parties agreed in denouncing and, so far as they could suppressing piracy and encouraging mutual commerce. It was not till the beginning of the 16th century that a change came over these peaceful conditions, and the way it happened was this. When the united wisdom of Ferdinand and Isabella resolved on the expatriation of the Spanish Moors, they forgot the risk of an exile's vengeance. No sooner was Granada fallen than thousands of desperate Moors left the land which for 700 years had been their home and disdaining to live under a spanish yoke crossed the strait to africa where they established themselves at various strong points such as seychelles oran and notably at algiers which till then had hardly been heard of no sooner were the banished moors fairly settled in their new seats than they did what anybody in their place would have done they carried the war into their oppressors country to meet the spaniards in the open field was impossible in their reduced numbers But at sea their fleetness and knowledge of the coasts gave them the opportunity of reprisal for which they longed. Science, tradition, and observation inform us that primitive man had certain affinities to the beast of prey. By superior strength or ingenuity he slew or snared the means of subsistence. Civilized man leaves the coarsest forms of slaughter to a professional class, and if he kills at all elevates his pastime to the rank of sport by the refining element of skill and the excitement of uncertainty and personal risk but civilized man is still only too prone to prey upon his fellows though hardly in the brutal manner of his ancestors he preys upon inferior intelligence upon weakness of character upon the greed and upon the gambling instinct of mankind in the grandest scale he is called a financier in the meanest a pickpocket this predatory spirit is at once so ancient and so general that the reader who is of course wholly innocent of such reprehensible tendencies must nevertheless make an effort to understand the delights of robbery considered as a fine art some cynics there are who will tell us that the only reason we are not all thieves is because we have not pluck enough and there must certainly be some fascination apart from natural depravity or original sin, to make a man prefer to run countless risks in an unlawful pursuit sooner than do an honest day's work. And in this sentence we have the answer. It is precisely the risk, the uncertainty, the danger, the sense of superior skill and ingenuity that attract the adventurous spirit, the passion for sport, which is implanted in the vast majority of mankind our moorish robbers had all this and more to attract them brave and daring men they had shown themselves often before in their tussles with the spaniards or in their wild sea-courses and harryings of the christian shores in sardinia perhaps or provence but now they pursued a quest alluring beyond any that had gone before a righteous vengeance upon those who had banished them from house and home and cast them adrift to find what new anchorage they might in the world a holy war against the slaughterers of their kith and kin and the blasphemers of their sacred faith what joy more fierce and jubilant than to run the light brigantine down the beach of algiers and man her for a cruise in spanish waters the little ship will hold but ten oars aside each pulled by a man who knows how to fight as well as to row as indeed he must for there is no room for mere landsmen on board a forcata. But if there be a fair wind off the land, there will be little rowing. The big Latine sail on her one mast will span the narrow waters between the African coast and the Balearic Isles, where a convenient lookout may be kept for Spanish galleons, or perhaps an Italian polacca. Drawing little water, a small squadron of brigantines could be pushed up almost any creek, or lie hidden behind a rock till the enemy hove in sight then oars out and a quick stroke for a few minutes and they are alongside their unsuspecting prey and pouring in their first volley then a scramble on board a hand-to-hand scuffle a last desperate resistance on the poop under the captain's canopy and the prize is taken the prisoners ironed a jury crew sent on board and all return in triumph to algiers where they are received with acclamations or it might be a descent on the shores of their own beloved Andalusia. Then the little vessels are run into the crevices between the rocks, or even buried in the sand, and the pirates steal inland to one of the villages they know so well, and the loss of which they will never cease to mourn. They have still friends a many in Spain, who are willing enough to help them against the oppressor, and to hide them when surprised. The sleeping Spaniards are roused and then grimly silenced by the points of swords their wives and daughters are borne away on the shoulders of the invaders everything valuable is cleared and the rovers are soon sailing merrily into the roads at algiers laden with spoil and captives and often with some of the persecuted remnant of their race who thankfully rejoin their kinsmen in the new country to wreak such vengeance on the spaniard added a real zest to life with all their skill and speed their knowledge of the coasts and the help of their compatriots ashore there was still the risk of capture sometimes their brigantines caught a tartar when they expected an easy victim and then the moors found the tables turned and had to grace their captors triumph and for years perhaps for ever to sit on the banks of a venetian or genoese galley heavily chained pulling the infidels oar, even in the chase of the true believers and gazing to satiety upon the wheels which the lash kept raw on the bare back of the man in front but the risk added a zest to the corsair's life and the captive could often look forward to the hope of recapture or sometimes of ransom by his friends the career of the pirate with all its chances was a prosperous one the adventurers grew rich and their strong places on the barbary coast became populous and well garrisoned and by the time the spaniards began to awake to the danger of letting such troublesome neighbors alone the evil was past a cure for twenty years the exiled moors had enjoyed immunity while the big spanish galleys were obstinately held in port contemptuous of so small a foe at last don pedro navarro was dispatched by cardinal Jimenez to bring the pirates to book he had little difficulty in taking possession of oran and bugia and algiers was so imperfectly fortified that he imposed his own terms he made the algerines vow to renounce piracy and to see that they kept their word he built and garrisoned a strong fort the de algier to stop their boats from sallying forth but the moors had still more than one strong post on the rocky promontories of barbary and having tasted the delights of chasing spaniards they were not likely to reform especially as the choice lay between piracy and starvation. Dig they would not, and they preferred to beg by force, like the gentlemen of the road. So they bided their time, till Ferdinand the Catholic passed away to his account, and then, in defiance of the pignon and reckless of all the pains and penalties of Spanish retribution, they threw up their allegiance, and looked about for allies. Help was not far off. Though in this case it meant mastery. The day of the Moorish pirates was over. Henceforth they might and did triumphantly assault and batter Spanish and Venetian ships, but they would do this under the captaincy of the allies they had called in, under the leadership of the Turkish corsairs. The Moors had shown the way, and the corsairs needed little bidding to follow it. End of introduction, chapter one.